Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming the Choir Ninja. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and today I'm going to bring to you an interview back from the very beginning of the Choir Ninja series with Denise Eaton. And Denise is a master teacher, master choral director, um, and is a Houston resident, and somebody that we'd like to pay tribute to at this time when uh, many in Houston are without uh, their their livelihoods, um, you know, they haven't been able to return to school yet. Uh, there are many students uh, who aren't even sure if their school is going to open up. So this is part of our Voices of Houston series. It's going to be brought to you in two parts. Uh, this first part explores choosing repertoire, and this is a detailed conversation that I have with Denise um, about just making sure that the, the repertoire you choose is appropriate for the voices that you have in front of you, amongst other things. Uh, she is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and part two will be coming in a couple days, and that interview is all about how to teach it. And this is one of these toolbox-type episodes. This is one of these things that you're going to want to stop, rewind, take some notes, visit the show notes page, and uh, this particular episode show notes is at choir.ninja forward slash 131. So when you head over there, you can, um, you can see what the major points were, um, any resources mentioned. I know Denise has some resources as well that she has written. Um, so uh, there are ways to you, for you to get those, those resources uh, for your program there at choir.ninja forward slash 131. Also, uh, we have the Choirs Are Horrible game that is about to come out in the next couple weeks. We are going to be doing a 48-hour window to purchase that game. And if you want, if you would like to make sure that you are on the list to receive um, the order form for that game, you're going to go to choir.ninja forward slash game. Again, it's choir.ninja forward slash game, and you, there's a three-question form you fill out, and then as soon as we release uh, the game, you, you're, you're going to have a 48 window to buy it, 48 hour window to buy it, and then we're going to send you um, that game within the next couple weeks after that, um, and you should you should have it by November 2017. Um, so just uh, sign up there at choir.ninja forward slash game. Uh, this episode is sponsored by SightReadingFactory.com. SightReadingFactory is uh, one of the best resources that I know of, um, and it's one of the least expensive resources that I know of to create a gigantic um, increase in the music literacy of your students and your choirs. So if you are interested in Sight Reading Factory as a resource for your program, Head on over there to sightreadingfactory.com and use the promo code NINJA. And when you order, 
Uh, you can actually have 10 free student accounts on me to try out with your with your students. And if you think the student account idea is a great addition to your subscription, you can buy as many student accounts as you'd like. They're very inexpensive. Uh, and that way, students can sightseeing at home. And they can even take graded assessments at home as well. So... Uh, there you go. That's sightreadingfactory.com. Our other sponsor is mymusicfolders.com. We realize that music folders are a process. Uh, this is not an impulse purchase. This is something that you need to think about. Um, you need to budget that money accordingly. And mymusicfolders.com is the best place to purchase your music folders. They have the patented comfort grip system. Uh, they have multiple folders at multiple price points. And if you if you type in Ninja at checkout or you at least mention to John or Robin when you order, if you mention that you heard, it about, heard about this on the Choir Ninja podcast, um, they will give you the bulk discount, the maximum bulk discount for your order. So even if you have to order 20 or 30, you're going to get the price for over 100 um, because they give you a graduated discount. Uh, based on the number of folders that you order. So you're going to get the maximum discount when you mention the Choir Ninja podcast uh, during your purchase. So we have two companies for you, sightreadingfactory.com and mymusicfolders.com. Let's jump in to today's episode with Denise Eaton. All right, Denise, thank you so much for being here on the Choir Ninja podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan. Well, you were highly recommended to me by the wonderful Betsy Cook Weber back on the Find Your Forte podcast, which this has uh, become the Choir Ninja podcast. Find Your Forte just basically did a flip a few episodes ago. And after 100, 120 episodes of the Find Your Forte podcast, we decided to spend more time bringing actionable advice to the choral world. And Betsy said, there's no better person for me to talk to than you. So um, I'm excited for what is in store today. Uh, and I guess what I wanted to find out from you is just a little bit of background information in case Choir Nation doesn't know much about Denise Eaton. Well, I taught for 34 years, as a, 29 as a high school choir director, and five as an adjunct professor where I did teach choral methods and uh, the women's choir at that university. So I, I kind of, I jokingly tell people when I do middle school clinics, I never taught middle school, but I taught ninth grade boys choirs for 28 years and that had to count for something. Absolutely. Boys, yeah. boys are boys until they're like 30. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know, it's like year five. I felt like I had a good men's rehearsal and I was like, I think, I think I'm starting to get this. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's an animal. It's an animal. So let me ask you, what what do you present on when you present at at conferences? I know I know you do about eight to ten conferences a year. What is your what's your thing? Well, I basically, of course, a lot of it has to do with my job as a choral editor at Carl Fisher and Briley Music. So I get these reading sessions, but I can't just go in and do reading sessions. Um, I had to learn that my strength is I'm an educator first and foremost. And I like to talk to people about teaching and um, sharing ideas and getting them to share ideas. So basically everything I do is pedagogical in nature. 
I jokingly say, I don't know that much. I just kind of change the shade of lipstick for what I do know. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's about um, sequential growth for your choir and for you as a teacher, development of sound, skill development. And I would have to say score study as it relates to sequential teaching. And that really ties into, it's kind of like which comes first, the chicken or the egg. It has to do with the repertoire that you choose and how you decide to structure your year and choose for your choirs. So now you are then an expert at playing the long game. You know, you're, it seems like you're an expert at, at developing an entire young musician over a longitudinal period of time. Well, I don't know if any of us is an expert, but I certainly had a lot of years of doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's real important, first of all, to take them where they are and have a goal as to where you want to get them by the end of the year. And I call that working backwards with the end in mind. And that's with everything you do with them. Okay, so um, what does the beginning of ninth grade look like in Denise Eaton's classroom? Now, I, I, I'm, I'm sure since you're from Texas and the Texans know how to bring home the hardware, you probably had a reasonable feeder school. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my first job, I was an assistant for 12 years and had amazing, one amazing feeder and the other two were not. And then when I was the head director, it was kind of the same. Okay. So, um, you know, it, it, I used to believe, and, and I still believe, just get the bodies. If I could just get them to walk into the choir room, I believed I could teach them and take them where they were. So um, a typical non-varsity boys choir that mainly freshmen or boys new to choir that, you know, could say, yes, ma'am. And that was a recruiting tool for me. I'd talk to a boy in the hallway and he'd answer, yes, ma'am. And I'd go, have you thought about being in choir? <laughs> you know? So does that mean we, you just pick, you pick nice boys? I like, I like polite people. I, I think you can teach smart and you can teach nice. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I just like intelligent kids or kids that are polite and that are kind to each other. I had a philosophy, be kind and work hard. And I hope that I was kind and work hard. I'm sure so many days I fell, fell short, but um, I think that's very important to be kind to each other because you're a team. So I'm very much a team, I'm kind of coach-ish with my men and with my women. But uh, yeah, I, I use that as a recruiting tool and I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, so. No, I think that's great. I mean, I, I would much rather teach a child who is willing to listen than a child who thinks he knows what what he's doing already and, and has the ego to back it up. Certainly. So uh, that's probably a whole separate episode. But um, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just working get, on getting the kids to call me sir, you know, so it's all good. <laughs> I, I, you know, I used to jokingly say you can always have the last word with me. It's either yes, ma'am or no, ma'am. And I'm good with that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was kind of my mom and dad's philosophy, though. So uh, anyway, I love it, it. OK, so yeah. so show me. So after after they've answered yes, ma'am, and they are in your classroom, what does the beginning of ninth grade look like for you? Well, I I believe, first of all, you've got to get kids singing immediately. And and I I think we women can be very guilty of uh, holding boys back with developing tone because it's not pretty. So we tell them to be quiet. And um, 
I think this this is a, a kind of a weird statement, but I believe you have to make a noise before you can refine the noise. So we would make a lot of noise um, and do a lot through speaking, through um, different vowels that, uh, especially the E vowel to get sounds forward. I think young men hear that, uh, I call it the uh, uh, that Coke bottle sound that they can make. In their head, that sounds very manly. And to get them to just make a sound so we can refine it, I can fix your O vowel if I can hear your O vowel. I can get your sound forward if I can hear your sound. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that's going to be unison singing. Um, uh, I can play the Dowland Come Again, Sweet Love in about five different keys because <laughs> I, loved, I loved that song because, first of all, it starts with what they want to sing in a vowel. So we could, we could work on our ah vowels a lot and unison singing and just learning to make a sound and kind of stretch the range, range extension for them. So, and of course, uh, rhythm skills and sight reading, uh, starting with sight reading after I get them singing immediately, something easy, but something that they can, you know, wrap their little brains around and have success with. So there is, there is no shame, Choir Nation, in beginning even high school students singing unison. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we have, we have a, a Pop-Tart generation amongst us right now that feels like we need, you know, we need to achieve very, very quickly. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it doesn't necessarily help build, build a, a musician. You may end up teaching really impressive songs by rote. So building that, un building through unison singing, I mean, is, is, is huge. Well, yes, absolutely. Now, boys, of course, can be a little bit more challenged because of their range, mm -hmm. um, finding the ranges. But I mean, my non-varsity and sub-non-varsity girls, what I call the girlfriend choir, we would always start off the year with a unison. And many times at Christmas, the, the holiday concert, we would do a unison piece. Um, and I believe in sight reading totally in unison, even with my, my varsity mixed choir for the first semester, because I just think it elevates Unison elevates the weaker singers and um, everybody can hear and you can work on vowel matching and tone and you can do a lot of repetition and you can play games and be, just be very creative with it. Um, so I, I believe in unison, um, unison art songs. Uh, there's a lot of great unison pieces in like the Boozy and Hawk series for the high voices. Um, and if you can find uh, the Briley developing voices, the boys, I could always find one or two pieces there. And like I say, the, like the Dowland, something like that. But yes, totally into unison at the beginning. Yeah, you're making really good points. I mean, you're talking about the, the idea that it's going gonna, it's gonna to raise up those, those weaker singers. You're going to be able to, to do a lot of vowel tuning in unison. And um, what, what are some of the other things you were saying in there? I mean, there's just there's so many... So many good points to unison. Well, I, I think, well, like I say, it does elevate the weaker singer. Um, it doesn't expose their weaknesses. It really helps develop and strengthen. But I, I think, too, uh, what we struggle with as young teachers, at least I did, um, is hearing. Okay, I hear it's a bad sound. How do I fix it? Um, so you really work on your, your technique on how to get them to make change with their sound, and if you're dealing with parts and different notes and it's, you know, rhythmically challenging, you, 
you can't develop very much. You can just get through in what I call a, gosh, I hope they get through it performance instead of something that can be artistic. Mm-hmm. Unison singing can be so artistic. And I don't care if they're in high school. If they don't have the skills yet, you know, unison two-part is where they are. So I think that's what I started with. you got to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think you know the ego tends to get in the way if you're a director oh, yeah. sometimes, and and truth of the matter is that the audience doesn't even have a clue no. whether you're singing two, four, six, eight parts, you know, in in your pieces. They just they're just coming to see their kid sing and be happy. So, well, and they know if it sounds good. They may not know if it's difficult, but they know if it sounds good. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's I think it's very important that you're systematic and what you choose. And also something else that I just thought of when you said that um, is to um, elevate their strengths and not their weaknesses. Um, something that's harm- that moves with a fast harmonic rhythm, like say for a bass line, let's say even at your varsity group, well, the, the, bo- the basses don't have great ears yet. You don't pick a fast madrigal because the bass part's always, you know, gymnastic. Oh, sure. Um, And people go, well, it's easy. Well, it's not if they don't have good ears and it's fast harmonic rhythm. So just, you know, things you got to develop the harm, they're fast, you got to develop their ear through unison sight reading. But that's a slow process. You don't want to throw them in because you're going to spend all your time trying to get those notes in tune. Okay. So if we were to sort of bullet out the, when you're thinking of repertoire, the the little things that you need to keep in mind, right? So we're talking about, um, you know, harmonic rhythm, for example. Yeah. That's uh-huh. one one element of score study that we need to be aware of um, yeah. when choosing repertoire. What what other elements d- d- come to your mind just right off right off the bat? Well, I think the tonality of the piece is important, especially for young singers. Um, F and G and sometimes C seems to be the rule for middle school a lot. So if you... And E flat. I sang a lot of E flat in middle school. Yes. Yes. E flat is another key. But like, um, I'll never forget. I I was teaching a Beethoven piece. I can't remember. I know it was a Betty Berteau orange cover. How's that? I was young. (laughs) But it was was in the key of B flat and it was acapella. So I was kind of using it as a sight reading piece. It was SSA, but a lot of unison. And they kept struggling. And finally, I asked, because I was not afraid to ask, why is this so challenging? And, of course, it was an alto. It's always the altos. They will tell you everything. So watch asking questions, open-ended questions to altos. (laughs) It's the truth. Every time I get to so, which is F in the key of B flat, I want to call it do. And that's when I realized that every single key is a different visual language for young singers and older singers too. Let's face it, you move where Doe lives and it gets out of their comfort zone that they have not visually experienced very much. Mm-hmm. Well, they it's a struggle. So that's why I wrote the smart book because it visually entrenched them, smart sight reading, it visually entrenched them in the key through fundamental exercises. So uh, just something like that is very important. So it's um, the idea of... of- their their eyes are used to seeing and relating this solfege syllable to this yep. particular line or space on the staff. You got it. 
Interesting. You know, that's something we don't we don't think about. I mean, I, I feel like I I haven't thought about that uh, very much, and I don't know if I don't think I'm a moron. You know, so I'm just wondering, like, how many people out there in Choir Nation don't don't think about about that? It's a huge point that you're making well, right here. Well, and and I think I think it's important that we have a barometer, and there is a student barometer. You know, that kid. For me, it was the sophomore tenor in my varsity mixed choir. I'm watching him, and I'm going, he is clueless. He's not getting it yet. I have got to come at this a different way tomorrow in order for him to be successful. If he's successful, we're all going to be more successful. Is he your so like he must, lowest common denominator or is well, he or is he like in the middle somewhere? Well, he's a sophomore tenor and he's in a varsity choir. And you think about it, when he was a freshman in the boys choir, he was singing tenor, but it was on the top staff of a TBB piece. Mm-hmm. Now he's the third or fourth staff down. And there's there's girls. Sorry, he's sur- he's surrounded at this point. And if we he put him in a yeah a visual different way to look to listen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many things we take for granted. I mean, when I had a when I had a sophomore ten, tenor label the solfege for the piccolo part of the Estampier Nautilus, it was an eye opening experience for me. I realized he has no idea what he's even looking at. So. You don't assume with them, you take them and you take them slowly. Even in a varsity group, just because they have a good throat doesn't mean that they're great musicians yet. It's your job to develop them. A good throat doesn't mean anything. Except <laughs> they're a good throat. That's true. So what's the next thing? Harmonic rhythm, we have tonality of the piece. What what other things are we are we looking at when we're choosing repertoire? Um, well, what how can I develop them rhythmically from it? Um, you know, I know I'm probably going to do something in six, eight in G major with a flute accompaniment at the holiday concert for the girls. You know, I'm joking sort of, but not really, (laughs) um, something that's going to develop their basic rhythm skills, uh, going forward where I want them to be toward the end of the year. So being very intentional to not pick two pieces that are similar that, uh, are completely different in style, even if one of them's unison. Um, always thinking about the rhythmic development and, and not just the rhythm of the song, but doing rhythms apart from the song and then tying them into the song. Okay. Syncopations, uh, things that, yes, you can teach those by rote, but if you have a system for teaching them before they look at the music, then they're going to get stronger and stronger. So that's that's a big that's a big part of it. So as this well, this comes up all the time in in world music and pop music, and of yes. course, of course, right? Because it's like uh, I don't know how I, I would be able to read some of these pop charts if if I didn't have a four year degree in music education. You know, I mean, let alone these these kids. Um, you know, unless they've been in AP music theory, I mean, I, I, I look at some of these things. It goes, man, how how are you not how are you not going to teach this by rote? You know, so uh, well, but I think I think it's possible to do what I call breakdowns of rhythm patterns that eventually lead to the rhythms of the song, and you can start introducing it before they see the song. And that's another thing. I I just think that there's a lot on a musical page that distracts students. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I believe in pulling things out and then putting them in um, and applying them. But again, that, that's, that's another, that's a whole nother episode because that really involves score study, a lot of score study, um, finding patterns within the songs that everybody has and things of that nature. So in keeping, 
sorry to cut you off, but um, in, in keeping with the rhythmic development theme, does that mean you are you are sequentially adding adding to students' oral rhythmic vocabulary throughout their four years? Meaning you're going to start. We're going to start in common time, then we might move to three, four, and then we're eventually going to introduce compound meter. And like, is that is that is that what you do? Well, prob- probably. Gosh, it's hard for me to even remember what I did with that. I just know that I would pick things that were uh, varying. I always used. I liked the Ed Sweeta rhythms. It's a band. It's a band method book, but it's rhythmic, and um, I I found that having like just a, a system in place. Uh, just developing, a, a, it it was it worked, and then I would create a lot of my own as I would move forward out of the Sweeta books. And oh, I so Ed Sweeta, I've met I've met this gentleman. He was wearing a a neon green recorder around his neck when I met him. Um, <laughs> I've never met him. I met him at the at the NJMEA conference ah, in East Brunswick, okay. New Jersey, in two thousand seven. Um, and I don't know, I think he was I think he was doing something with a, a recorder with a lanyard on it and was showing me, you know, how, you know, if you pull the recorder, you know, you you know, uh, the the velcro will break and you won't choke or something. It, it was very interesting. But now what 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 is this rhythmic method that he uses that he has? What is that called? I'd love well, to link it's, to it's it. It's called the I think it's called the Sweeta rhythm. I mean, it's just S-U-E-T-A and it starts off very basic and it accelerates rather rapidly. Okay. But I would use the basics as a foundation um, of some uh, of some things that I would then get into more complex rhythms in my songs. But I mean, I have to have something. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep the quarter note and, and always keep, and another thing too um, is I believe they must always be kinesthetically involved okay um you know tapping tapping the beat uh conducting I, I i quit trying to teach conducting though to freshman boys that was like stupid we just learned how to bounce the basketball that's good and that uh, works you know you know just something where they could or tap on the shoulders but not so much so they're just conducting in one like they're lost yeah exactly perfect and, and they were a lot of times yeah. <laughs> so um and you know people say well do you do eastman or do you do this I think you have to kind of look at the vertical alignment of your program, what your feeders are doing, and if you have any influence over that, what the band is doing, because that really starts at the elementary level. So yeah. find the system that's going to work best in your system, but have a system. And so Consistency out, is what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And think it out before you start it. Um, and make sure it's going to work for them. Um, I, I was not averse to going back to ta ta ti ti ta with a lot of things sometimes it was hard for my high school kids to ta and tea i mean it's crazy um so lots of dip mixing things up um is 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 very helpful for them okay what's what is the next bullet in in choosing repertoire we have rhythmic development we have harmonic we have harmonic rhythm and tonality what is what is another thing we need to keep in mind well i, I kind of started off with that with vocal development um Make, making a sound and, and refining the sound through the repetition of teaching the piece as well. Um, you know, sopranos have to repeat a, a perfect fifth leap up from a, let's say, B flat to an F, and they go to an eval and to modify it. And 
a lot of repetition to do that and to do it well. That's probably a stupid example. I don't know where that came well, from. Well, it's okay. But, but are you but, looking for are you looking for particular ranges or are you looking for these types of elements where you're you're looking at a p- new piece of music and you're going, "Okay, that those sopranos are making that leap." Can I teach that vowel modification? What, what are you looking for if you're opening a piece of music and, and looking at from a vocal um, development standpoint? Well, the range, um, the passaggio, how it works for each of the different voices, if it's not a unison piece. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the depth of sound that I want to get from the piece. Uh, I guess, too, don't you think, I mean, as a young teacher, I mean, I think I might have had a sound in my head, but if someone would have said, Denise, what is your characteristic choral tone? Mm-hmm. I think I would have just gone, uh, you know. Um, and I think that's that's a very important uh, thing to be able to describe the sound that you want to get out of this choir. You may not ever meet, you know, get there throughout the year, but you have that sound in mind. You know, like mine was freely produce, healthy, vibrating. I did teach with vibrato. I could maybe learn to eliminate some of it later, but uh, tall vowels, unified vowels. And I went for a pretty big sound because uh, I could always pull it back if I could get them to make it. We could learn to shimmer if we could sing it forte. Mm-hmm. So having having a have a definition of the choral tone that you're after so that as you're doing your warm-ups that are going to lead into your repertoire, you're, you're, you're going for it. So, all the time. So, uh, so there's, there's a couple couple things I want to I want to stem off of that. There's a great book called Vocal Technique. Yes. And one of the chapters. Jordan. No, not that one. That's group vocal technique. Yes. There's a there's okay. a book just called Vocal Technique. Um, and I've linked to it in the past, and I'll link to it again in this episode. Uh, but one of the chapters, you know, talks about if you don't have a sound in mind when you're beginning uh, a piece. Then, then if you make if you make a beautiful sound, if you don't have that beautiful sound in mind, if you make a beautiful sound, then you've done it by accident. Right, right. So yeah, and, and I I I totally I so agree with that. But the, the the great thing is, and this is this is so um, great to be talking to this audience of Choir Nation that if you don't have a sound, it's okay. Start thinking of one. What is your sound? What are you going for every day when you warm them up? and go to your repertoire and and in your sight reading. That's another very important thing. I used to joke and say, we need Prozac for our tone. We've got one tone in warmup. We've got a different tone in the sight reading. Let's get that warmup tone in our sight reading Um, so that we're always, always creative, creatively repetition. That wasn't good English, but you know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Always going for good tone. I, I I love this this Prozac for tone example. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm going to steal it. I'm stealing it. I'm going to yeah. I'm a relatively un, unfiltered individual, and I I think I'm going to steal that because it's true. It's like you're making this big, free, open sound in in warm ups, and then sometimes you get to repertoire, and you're like, hey guys, like turn your hair dryers off. Like what's going on? Right. So, well, and a lot of times, though, they just need to, they need to experience smaller chunks of the song several times and with some feedback like, OK, the pitches were better, but you're, you're we've lost our tall vowels. Add your tall vowels in and it might take two or three times. 
and this the instant what do you call it pop tart generation yeah <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't work with skill development and tone development it and you know and i had a friend once i said well i had to remind them three times i said gosh i wish i only i think i reminded 30 times constantly insisting and keeping that at the forefront of what you're after yeah I, it's so yeah. funny because i you know I, i'm I, as uh, this year uh, is the first year that I'm I'm taking over a program that's been with somebody else for about ten years, and I have a very different philosophy, uh, tone wise than my predecessor, and and I uh, to just today, like you were saying, I had to remind and remind and remind because we were doing, we sing our solfege, um, do re mi fa su la ti do as opposed to do re mi and all that sort of diff, diphthongy sounding stuff. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, at one point I was like, kids, do we need to open an, an Alzheimer's unit here at this high school? Because, because seriously, like I'm, I'm very concerned about your, your memory, <laughs> you know, because right. you can keep driving it into their brain. It, this is how it, this is how it, what, this is what a beautiful sound sounds like. And, and that we need to make these choices together and, and, and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, well, and, and, you know, being not being afraid to have one group hum, one section hum while the others sing out loud. And, oh, gosh, I find humming to be extremely challenging for young singers um, and always keeping everybody engaged in the music. And that can open up a little bit more um, repetition in your rehearsal as well. Um, while you're humming, listen to the bass tone or, you know, be able to tell me where their good vowels were or or not, you know. Things like that. So what I'm hearing a lot, and one of the sort of the theme of this, and this is definitely for me because I'm I'm part of my target audience for this podcast. You know, I'm sort of in that millennial public school choral director generation. Is you're giving me because now as as an experienced educator, you know, as somebody who's always you know has who's performed at. TMEA and Southwest ACDA a bunch of times and and you've you know you've done great things in Texas which is of course one of the most competitive states for music education or probably the most competitive state you know I need to hear from people like you that like I have permission to do these these techniques you know I have permission to do unison with my ninth grade boys or I have permission to hum while my other uh, sections sing solfege or, or, or these types of things, or you don't have to come out of the gate, you know, singing, singing water night by Eric Whitaker in your freshman choir. You know I mean? I, and it's, it's amazing how sometimes we forget uh, that, or we, or we, sometimes we, sometimes we look for other people to sort of copy their answers instead of looking in, in ourselves into our own creativity um, to come up with the, the answers to, to these, you know, to choral issues, to choral problems in rehearsal. Um, so I'm just, I'm just astounded at all these things that you're giving me permission to do as a, as a high school choir director. Well, one thing I, I really believe with all my heart is you are limited to your own creativity. But uh, one thing the band director, the head band director at the college where, where I worked said, uh, I went to one of his workshops, he said, but do not let your limitations limit your students. And I thought that that's why hopefully people that, that listen to this podcast and go to workshops, I used to say, if you could get one idea, 
one idea from one workshop. It was a successful workshop. If you can implement it, embrace it, and make it your own, then it was good. One idea is a good thing. You know, if, if people are out there struggling right now, I had a, a colleague who used to say, I just can't do this. He was a middle, middle school choir director. And I said, what do you mean you can't do this? He said, I can't do all of this. I can't hear all the pitches, fix the rhythms, work on their tone. I said, okay, I'm going to give you permission. Pick one thing. Pick one thing and be really good at that one thing. And, of course, the thing he picked, which I knew he would, would be vowels. If you can get them to sing the best vowels all the time, warm-ups on their solfege, when they go to words, they're going to get better. There's no way they cannot get better mm -hmm. right there. And then if you add in some musicality and, um, you know, phrasing and stuff like that, all the better. But, but pick the one thing. And I'm telling you what, by year three, it was really quite impressive what he was doing. But I guess what, he, what I said was I'm giving you permission to not be the be-all and end-all because none of us are the be-all and end-all. And this is like his first year as a teacher, and he expected himself to do that. And mm -hmm. I thought that's – you got to give yourself grace, and and you've got to you've you've got to focus on your personal and musical strengths, and then try to develop some of those weaknesses. But grace is a big word. A big dose of it every day is uh, we all need it, no matter what we do. Yeah, after the Prozac, you can have some grace. <laughs> <laughs> um now no I, I i agree with you completely i agree with you completely now um we were talking about okay harmonic rhythm tonality vocal development all these things where does language uh uh factor in for you i mean are, are there languages that you would avoid when you were just starting out uh with your ninth graders yes absolutely um I think Latin is Latin and Italian, of course, are the best languages if you're going to do a foreign language because it's going to really teach purity of vowels. Um, and Latin, of course, is so easy. Um, but if your kids aren't very good, you don't want to do things like German. And prob I probably wouldn't do Italian with young singers either, too young. I would stick with Latin with the foreign language. And again, I think um, you've got to allow an extra week of rehearsal time. And I mean, I'll never forget. I'm just going to show you how stupid I was as a young teacher. I was doing a piece in Russian and it wasn't like a hard piece. I can't remember what it was. I, I cannot to this day. But I remember I wrote out it, uh, wrote it out for them how to write it into their score. And I checked their score and they had written it out. And we we were you know, I said it and they repeated it back. And then I expected them to sing it. And I remember I got mad at them because they didn't. Well, I left out like four key steps in sequential <laughs> learning in order for them to be successful. So if you don't know how to teach it, how to layer it in, avoid it. Wait till you do know how to. There's lots of great music out there. Uh, but I certainly would not do two foreign language pieces with a beginning group, ever. So I ever. have this I have this, this beef against English because, well, no, no, I do a lot of English, obviously, but I have this beef against English because we bring in our own dialect accents absolutely and in texas that's a trip thong on a one syllable word sometimes I right mean, it's ridiculous it is <laughs> right exactly exactly so so uh and I, and I think this is gonna go into into part two of me and denise eaton talking about sequential uh sequential learning and how to teach a piece of music um 
because I'm, I'm sure there are, are steps that you can take that we probably can't discuss in this episode, but there are steps that you can take to avoid the trip thongs. Uh, yes. Yes. So, so, but we should be conscious of the language um, that we choose, and and potentially, I mean, I'm assuming that there are there are tempo and especially maybe vocal um, uh, development issues that could play into an English language piece. That maybe if you chose a, a piece that that uh, maybe was was. Um, faster you you wouldn't have as many diphthong and triphthong issues uh, or maybe um if they weren't trying to sing a very tight closed e vowel and the sopranos up up on a on a high g uh for that piece uh you could avoid another type of issue as well so i guess even when you're singing in english you need to be very aware of the things you're asking your singers to do even in their own language Absolutely. And I think I agree with you. English is extremely difficult because of the regional dialects we all bring in. But I, I do believe that we tend to think just because they they know the, the language that they should be able to sing on text in rhythm without isolating it like in a monotone, like in a warm up where you you take two sentences from the song and break it down in some form of a warm up where you're insisting on the vowels that you want right there in the warm-up before they look at the song. Um, there's, again, that, that's, but that's that kind of layering, I think. I always go back to that, though. But, but I used to do it all wrong, Ryan. That's why I say that now, because I remember doing that and being frustrated because I was doing too much too soon before mm-hmm. it was, they were ready for it. Um, again, what, what's your barometer in your choir? You know that skill level of that kid there, teach to that skill level and make sure they're, they're mastering it before you move on and trust the process. Well, potentially sometimes we feel like we're spinning plates, you know, in choir nation, you're not alone. Cause I still feel this, that, that there's, there's a, um, there's a delicate balance between keeping your kids interested and engaged and how quickly they're learning a piece. And so you may say, ah, heck, let's just sing it on words and, yeah, and yeah, never. just because you're trying to <laughs> right, you know, because you're trying to sell them, you're trying to sell right. them the piece, and and what you end up doing is building in poor muscle memory on this particular piece, and then you're just never going to get it back. Yeah, it's and, and muscle memory is is a great term because I know so many people that say, yeah, I'm going to pull up that piece we did in the fall, and I go, well, how'd they sound in the fall? Because they're they're going to default to that. Every time. That's true. Default to that tone. I had a voice teacher when I was doing my juries, Elam Ely, over at Westminster Choir College. He's a Texan. Uh, and, you know, he was, he always said, he was like, we're not going to go back. Once you, uh-huh. do, once you do it that one way, uh, you know, you're just going to revert back to that, that same technique that you were using. So I was only ever allowed to sing Papagano's aria my senior year of high school. And then I never sang it again because I would go back to my little carotid arteries sticking out strained, <laughs> you know, straight tone high school boy voice. Yep. So, no, that's a, that's a, that's a huge, huge thing to think about is, is, you know, there are other ways to engage your kids than singing on text. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I just thought of something, and I hope it's okay that I'm going to backtrack a long way. We are talking about vocal development earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I know for so much of my career, I told, 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 and it changed when I asked. 
Well, what's your what's your tone do when you're singing that ooh, and have everyone repeat an ooh, like say on a four part chord or a unison note, and ask, um, okay, Mike, what is your tongue doing there? And I, you know, everyone's starting to think about things. Well, what happens what happens to the corners of your lips when you go from an O to an ah, and really get kids more engaged to asking them questions instead of you telling them. Um, that exploratory learning is can can reap so many more benefits as as they learn how to sing in the vocal development. I'm sorry I went backwards, but like when you said that, I was like, whoa, I forgot about that. So no, that's huge because they're getting invested huge. in it. They're getting invested in in their education at that point. They're not just becoming a, a you know. Well, and if you watch if you watch a band rehearsal or you watch a, a band sectional, which we had, I had a very good band uh, at my high school, and, and um, I was good friends, and I learned a lot from them. In fact, I brought in the percussion instructor many times when I was doing certain pieces, and he was very helpful in uh, cleaning things up and giving us different ideas. But you watch a band, and I mean, they work on onset of sound like maybe 15 times in a row, and we do not. Rhythmic breathing. Um, um, uh, breathing through the vowel, uh, we, we say it, but do we ever look at them and do we have them maybe freeze their breath or do we let them look in a mirror and see what their breath looks like, what their mouth looks like? Um, there's just so many things that we can do to help them get better without just telling them. Cause I mean, face it, don't you learn experientially? Absolutely. So do they. But right, yeah. and they are in. They are sitting. You know, in 2017, they are sitting in their academic, you know, core classes, uh-huh. uh, in still in single file rows, like the beginning of the industrial revolution, uh-huh. and and you know, copy these notes off the board. Okay, <laughs> regurgitate this <laughs> on the test, yep. right? And yeah, I get right. You get the wah 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 trombone up in the front of the class, and it's like these kids, unless they are they are in it and invested in it. They're just getting information thrown at them all day long. Exactly. We don't, we don't need to perpetuate that. Right. Exactly. We don't. Yeah. I mean, they're already overstimulated as it is. Mm -hmm. So if you give them a second to sit back and think for themselves, I mean, that's almost refreshing. Well, it is. And, um, another thing that they, they learn so much from is, um, ugly good. Make, make the ugliest awe value you can now make the most beautiful awe value you can. Okay, what happened inside of your mouth? What were you thinking? Ask them a few questions. It's so funny to watch. They're like, <laughs> but then they start they start opening up, and and then when you're sharing, you're growing because you're learning from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I would say, I would say, sing more, talk less, ask more, tell less. So if we were to round our discussion up right now in. In one minute or less, what would that what would that sound like? We went through we went through a lot of things. We went through, you know, this is really about choosing repertoire that you can teach in a uh-huh. in a sequential manner successfully. Is, is that is that kind of what we're getting at here? That's where we're heading. Yep, and and that through it you can develop good tone and enhance reading and rhythmic skills. So Denise, at this point, I think we are we have a great setup for part two. And in in this episode, we spoke about 
uh, the things we need to keep in mind when we're choosing repertoire, really thinking about uh, the level of the choir, where you're beginning, where you're heading. And then next week on the Choir Ninja podcast, we're going to delve into actually how to teach a piece in a sequential manner uh, so that you don't end up backtracking on any of your work and and things like that. Um, so I'm excited about that. And Denise, I, I really appreciate you uh, spending this time with me today. Well, I'm, I'm just really honored that you asked, Ryan. Um, I really care about people out there that are teaching, and I know what it's like to burn out, and I know what it's like to feel like you've picked the wrong career. Um, and I just, I, I'm going to go back to give yourself a big dose of grace every day and come back at it again with a fresh a fresh look and try something new and help is a good four letter word. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes <laughs> we, we need to be humble enough to realize when we need it and ask Absolutely. and ask for it. Well, I'm, I'm glad choir nation that you came uh, to the, to the uh, choir ninja podcast today. Um, I want to make sure that you know that um, Denise is, you know, she is the choral editor for Carl Fisher in Briley music. And she also has a, a whole slew of site uh, site reading materials, uh, smart, which is site reading made accessible, readable and teachable. And then she's got Smart Minor and also Steps, which is uh, one that's coming out soon, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's coming out soon. But I also have Insight Singing um, from Carl Fisher as well. So I'm going to throw links to all of these books up on the the, uh, show notes for this particular episode. So that's going to be at choir.ninja. Uh, and, you, and you can just search Denise's name there and you'll see her show notes pop right up and you can click any of those links. Uh, so, it, and remember, we use multiple sight reading materials, um, you know, in Choir Nation. So um, there is not only one that's going to do it for you. Just like, you know, Denise wrote her own books, but she also uses Ed, Ed Sueda. Um, we also have obviously Sight Reading Factory, which of course, uh, since they are a sponsor of this podcast, uh, I would not take them on as a sponsor unless I use them myself. I wouldn't take them on unless I believed in uh, the value that they offer to Choir Nation. So remember, this is your call to action, people. Head over to sightreadingfactory.com. Use the demo. Check it out. If you're convinced that it's a great, it's a great uh, tool for you. Type in the discount code NINJA, all caps, N-I-N-J-A, in the checkout, and you'll get 10 free student accounts, which, by the way, are the coolest things in the world because your students can record sight reading exercises on parameters that you set up, and it, it will leave their recordings in your Dropbox. It will literally turn on their computer speaker or their computer microphone. They can sight sing a piece for you based on parameters that you choose and it will leave that recording in your Dropbox so you can grade it. It's the coolest thing in the world and I love it. So head on over to sightreadingfactory.com, type in the choir, type in Ninja in the promo code. Uh, Also make sure that you check out uh, Denise's books uh, in the show notes and uh, share this episode with people if you thought it was helpful. I think it was super helpful and we will see Denise next week on the Choir Ninja podcast.
Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Ryan.